Would you turn with me to John chapter 15? John 15. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Deep Roots. We've got Violet here today. Why we got welcome, welcome back. They're Bollingers. Oh, look at that little baby. Welcome. So good to see you guys. Missed you. John chapter 15. We're gonna uh, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna be jumping around a little bit on this chapter. And um, let's read this together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. I'm going to read verses 5, 8, and 16. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, he says, when you produce much fruit... You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So right here in verse 8, Jesus associates bearing fruit with being a disciple, a follower. His disciples, his followers, they bear fruit. In verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. But not just any fruit. It's fruit that will last. It's enduring, lasting Good fruit. You know, my grandmother had many cherry trees in her backyard when, and she lived down the street from me when, when I was in Squim. And uh, one year she allowed my siblings and I to come over and pick a bunch of cherries so that we could set up a fruit stand and sell cherries to earn a little extra money. And so we spent all afternoon picking cherries in her backyard and we brought them back to our house and we set up a stand at the edge of our property. And we were selling cherries, and I remember this one man in particular. He comes to the fruit stand, and he's, uh, he, he just starts talking to my siblings, siblings and I, all the while just grabbing handfuls of fruit and eating fruit as he's talking to us. And then he did about two or three big handfuls of cherries, and then he just got in his car and left without paying for anything. And my siblings and I were like, what is that? What? How rude. But a few minutes later, another gentleman comes up. And he rolls down his window, and he just hands us a $20 bill out of his window and, and drives off and says, it's okay, I don't want any cherries. You guys just take this 20 and leave. And by the end of the day, we ended up selling, uh, we ended up selling enough cherries that, that it gave each of us about $15. And so I went to Walmart and bought a new Lego set because that's what I did when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. But uh, fruit, fruit is a desirable commodity, isn't it? It's sweet, it's full of vitamins. I can get my kids to eat fruit a lot easier than I can get them to eat their vegetables. And there's so many different flavors of fruit. There's flavors of fruit that I've never even tried all around the world. Uh, I, we brought a fruit tree from our house here on the stage. You might have been wondering, what is this weird tree doing on the stage? And uh, this is a fruit tree that came from my house. Can anybody tell me what kind of tree this is? Don't tell, Not you, Dad. You, you know. <laughs> it is not an avocado. It's hard to tell, though, isn't it? Because there's no fruit on this tree, right? You can't... What? It's a lemon tree. That's right. We've, we brought a lemon tree. This is our lemon tree that has... Uh, we've had this lemon tree for nearly two years, and we've never seen it produce a single lemon. The, the condi- it takes how long? Five years? Gosh, what? Are you kidding me? You know what? But I would have to say the conditions of this fruit tree, that the conditions of this area that we live in are not ideal for growing lemon trees. Lemon trees, they like everybody, – everybody in here has a green th- – I'm talking to a room full of farmers and agricultural people. I just need to be quiet now. 
you know, when you grow a lemon tree, they need dry and humid areas, right? They need warm and humid areas. And we live in a very dry area. And even though the tree kind of looks healthy right now, and it looks healthy in the summertime, the winters here are so cold and bitter. We bring it inside, and it begins to look a little unhealthy. The leaves start to turn less green. They get a little bit more yellow. There's little brown spots that show up on the leaves. It starts, a little, it starts to look a, a little bit unhealthy. You know, unfortunately, many Christians today, uh, they, they look the part. They look healthy, but they're not bearing much fruit. Their leaves might be green. They might be put in a nice pot. They present themselves nice, but they're not bearing any fruit. And this is what I want to talk about us today because Jesus uses this analogy of fruit in many places throughout the Bible. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45, he says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, Jesus said in John 15 that we were appointed by him to bear fruit, and not just any fruit, but good, lasting fruit. And when you're filled with God's presence, and you're filled with his Holy Spirit, your life will produce what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And we see this list in Galatians 5.22. It's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit is the result of a life that is rooted in good soil. And in the cycle of fruit-bearing plants, fruit comes at the end of the process, doesn't it? First, a seed is planted in the ground, and when it receives enough water, the seed breaks open and begins developing a root system. And eventually, a shoot will break above the soil and into the air and the sunlight, and both the plant and its root system continue to grow until the plant is mature enough to bear fruit. The root system and the plant, they grow at the same time. And fruitfulness in your life comes about through a similar process. God plants the seed of his word inside of you. We see this analogy in Luke chapter 8, 11 in the parable of the sower where Jesus refers to the word of God as a seed that is planted in good soil. And, and he waters it with his Holy Spirit, bringing it to life. And he begins to give you insight to, his, to what he's created you to be in him and what he's calling you to do with him. He stirs up that desire in you to have a lasting impact in the world, to bear fruit. And he starts to build a root system for that seed in your heart, in your internal world. The reality is, is there's a calling on the life of every believer, on the life of every follower of Jesus that first has to be supported by years and years of root development. He has to make you bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And at Desert Church, our passion is to see people develop roots in three areas of life. And if you come to Grow Class today, you're going to hear a little bit of this again. But the three areas of life, we refer to these as soils, different soils. And the first soil is intimacy with God, the soil of intimacy with God. We want everyone to develop deep roots in the soil of intimacy, to have a, 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 an, an encounter with the presence of God, to know God. The second soil is we want everyone to be rooted in community in the church. We want them to have deep roots 
roots in community in the church. And some people would say, well, this is less important. But Jesus didn't think so. Jesus, when he, when he sent his disciples, the last prayer that Jesus prayed before going to the cross was about unity in the church and how much he loved his church. How much he loved his followers and wanted them to be united. And our desire is for everybody to be rooted in intimacy, in community with the church. And number three, in service to the world. We want everyone to develop roots in these three areas. And we see all three of these areas modeled in the life of Jesus. Imagine removing someone's roots from one of these soils. What happens when someone develops roots in intimacy with God and community in the church, but not in service to the world? They become self-focused. They're, they never move outside of their comfort zone by imitating Jesus in service to others. Let me ask you what happens when someone never develops roots in church community. They have nobody to encourage them and challenge them. They isolate and they're left alone to deal with their addictions and bad habits and struggles all by themselves. And they think, I've got God. That's all I need. I'm going to just go, go it alone. I'm going to figure this out by myself. But God looked at Adam in the garden when he was alone. He said, it's not good that you're alone, Adam. You need a helper. You need somebody to come alongside of you. Many people who left the church in 2020 during the COVID thing, they're discovering now the significance of being rooted in community in the church. What happens when you neglect roots in the soil of intimacy? You have someone who's really good at playing the part. They have their club, their community that they come to. They might serve or volunteer somewhere. They look the part, but they experience burnout because they they aren't attached to the vine. And they aren't being fueled by God's presence. They aren't receiving from him. So for the next three weeks in this series, Deep Roots, we're going to talk about these three soils in depth. And today, we're talking about being rooted in intimacy with God. Well, what is intimacy with God? Many people, and men especially, they may be uncomfortable with the word intimacy. I heard someone once tell me, intimacy, into me you see. And I was like, that's creepy. Don't ever say that again. Intimacy. It's this men we we get uncomfortable with this word and it's come to refer to a a sexual bond that is shared that oh they have intimacy with one another but i'm not referring to that kind of intimacy i'm referring to a familiarity that is experienced when you are alone with god i'm talking about an inner room experience an inner room experience pastor what is that let me explain it jesus talked about this in matthew chapter 6 verse 6 He he was telling his disciples how to pray, and he says, But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. A few years ago, I had a a friend of mine who uh, has gone to church his entire life. He grew up in the church. He was raised by pastors his parents were both pastors he calls me drunk at 10 a.m on a wednesday morning when i'm in the office and he's he asks me blake how are you so sure of your faith how do you know that you're hearing from god and like many people who grow up in church my friend he went to church but he never developed roots in the inner room He never had an experience with the presence of God. And I began to just share with him what that looks like and how you have to set time aside to be with God one-on-one. 
Everything you will ever need is found in the presence of God. And there are some things that you will only receive when you are in the secret place. Some things you can only get when you are alone with God in the inner room. You can't get them anywhere else. I recently heard about an endangered bat that lives on a place called Silhouette Island. It's in the Indian Ocean. And this bat doesn't live anywhere else in the world. You could travel all over Africa, and you would never find this bat. You could go all over North America, South America. You would, you could travel all over Europe, but you will never say, you will never see a Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. That's a mouthful. I know, that's a tongue twister. That's right, Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. Wow. You know what? You won't even find, you won't even find this bat on another island in the Seychelles. You have to go specifically to Silhouette Island. It is the only place in the world that this bat lives. Here's what I'm getting at. There's an anointing that is found in only one place. You can go to as many conferences as you want, but you won't find it there. You could come to church and listen to as many sermons as you want, and you're not going to find it here. You can worship your heart out here with us on Sunday mornings, but you're not going to find it here. There's something, there's an anointing that comes when you go into the secret place. And it can only be found there. God reserves certain things to be found only in the secret place alone with him. And you have to separate yourself and go into this inner room of prayer. And you can try to counterfeit this experience by imitating others who have been to to their inner room. You can look at their life and say, okay, that's what it looks like. You can try to counterfeit it. But if this connection with Jesus is not developed in your life, your root system will never be healthy. You will never find satisfaction or experience what you were created for outside of encountering the presence of God. You won't find satisfaction and you won't experience what God has called you for unless you go into this inner room. The Bible has many examples of people separating themselves into a place to be alone with God. And we need to develop a history with God that nobody else sees. These inner room encounters, they're crucial for developing a history with God that creates security inside of you and a passion to see God's love shared with others. And when we go into these inner rooms, these places, these these places that are dedicated to being alone with God, when we go into these inner rooms, we receive things that are necessary in order for us to bear good and lasting fruit. And these inner room moments, they're holy moments. These are holy moments. We we use the word holy to describe something that is pious or sacred. But did you know that the Hebrew word for holy means to be set apart for a purpose? It means to be set apart, to use exclusively for something. So if you have a coffee pot at home that you only use for coffee, you've got a holy coffee pot. I'm joking. But here's what 1 Peter 2.9 says. This is what God says about Israel, but it's also what he says about those of us who have been grafted into the family of God. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession in other words i've set you apart i've 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 set you aside for something special for a purpose and this verse is saying that god is he's he set you apart it's describing a work that he has done on your behalf 
He wants to use you in a mighty way, but there's also a part that we must play in this process. Jesus made us holy by his sacrifice. He set us apart, and now we must continue to set ourselves apart to be used by God. The same author, Peter, he says this in, in the chapter before, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter is saying, set yourselves apart. Get away from what the world is doing and be obedient to God. We have to learn rhythms that allow us to get away from the noise and the chaos of life and step into the inner room with God. And for David, the inner room was a field when he was a shepherd boy. For Moses, his inner room was God's. He met with God in God's presence on a mountain and in a tent in a tabernacle. John the Baptist's inner room was the desert. Jesus chose his inner room wherever he could, and he journeyed and ministered throughout Israel. And he found lonely places to spend time with the Father. So this morning, I want to share with you a powerful story about the anointing of a man named Jehu. And talk about what we receive from God when we're in the inner room. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. This is the anointing of Jehu. Let me give you a little backstory leading up to this moment that we're going to read. Israel is in one of its darkest hours. It's one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. The, the king Ahab at the time and his queen Jezebel, they had, they had unleashed idolatry and sexual immorality and violence, violence in the nation of Israel. And Elijah the prophet, he confronts Ahab and Jezebel several times. And when the time came for God to take Elijah to heaven, Ahab and Jezebel, they were still in power. But God promised Elijah that their family line would be removed in the next generation through Elisha, who was Elijah's successor. And Jehu, the man that God had chosen to be king and reestablish righteousness in the land, he would come and he would take the place as the king of Israel. And so when the time came for Jehu to be anointed, Ahab, he was already dead and he had a son who succeeded him. But Jezebel was still ruling the nation from Jezreel. And Elisha sent one of his sons of the prophets to find Jehu and Ramoth Gilead where he was stationed with some soldiers. So well, Elisha sends a prophet to go and do this to Jehu. We're going to take it from 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. The prophet Elijah summoned a man from the company of prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of olive oil with you, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him and Get him away from his companions and take him into the inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says. I appoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead and when he arrived, he found, an, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us, asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. And Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. What a powerful moment. Jehu is brought into this inner room, and in this inner room, here are some things that Jehu receives when he goes into the inner room. Number one, Jehu receives clarity, and God reveals his story to Jehu. The anointing of Jehu, God God revealed a plan that was bigger than any one person. And in this inner room, God revealed that he was moving and he had a greater story that he was unfolding. We receive clarity when God shares his bigger story with us. Oftentimes, we just assume that God likes to leave us in the dark. We assume that God likes to keep us in the dark as an exercise of trust. And don't get me wrong. This has happened to me. I've been kept in the dark. I've had, I've gone through seasons where I go, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. And the Lord just says, trust me. Those seasons happen. But did you know that Jesus told us to ask? Jesus told us to seek God's will. And the Bible is pretty clear that we're to ask for and desire wisdom and understanding. We are to ask God, what are you doing? Lord, would you show me the bigger picture? Would you show me your story? Show me what, what plan you're unfolding. Proverbs 4, 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. We are to seek out God's story. Seek out his plan. Receive clarity. And when we go into the inner room, God gives us clarity. Do you feel lost in the season that you're in? Do you feel void of purpose? What am I doing right now? What what am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to be spending my life? Where am I supposed to be going? Are you wondering what's going on? What that bigger purpose is? Have you tried entering the inner room and asking God for those answers? Have you tried spending time in the presence of God and asking him, what is your story? What plan are you unfolding? What am I supposed to be doing? God gave Jehu clarity. In this inner room moment. The second thing that God gave to Jehu. Was strategy. He not only reveals his story. But he reveals your story. The part that you play. In God's story. What he wants you to be doing. When Jehu was anointed in the inner room. God used the prophet to tell Jehu. What he had to do. He was to destroy Ahab's house. And he provided a strategy. For Jehu to step into. My oldest son, Gideon, who's sitting right here in the front row, he's getting really good at board games. He he can beat me at board games pretty often. And uh, I've been teaching him new board games. And I remember when when we first learned how to play Risk. And if you've never played Risk before, Risk, the point of Risk is to take over the world with your army by defeating your opponent with rolls of the dice. So everybody rolls the dice, and whoever has the highest number of rolls uh, they get they they win that roll and the tie goes to the the tie goes to the defender 
And uh, I remember when I was teaching Gideon how to play this game, uh, he lacked just a little bit of strategy. He was just excited to roll the dice and move into new territory. He was, he, he, he would just cross his finger and roll the dice. He had lots of passion and zeal, but there was no strategy in the beginning. And now he's getting strategy. He's really good at that game. But then he had lots of passion and zeal. And in the same way, many Christians, they get excited about being used by God, but they have no strategy. They don't know the part that they're supposed to play. They want God to just give them the dice. Just give me the dice, God. I'm going to roll and see what happens. But there's no strategy. And in the inner room, God gives us strategy. I love what Banning Leafshire says. He's a pastor of Jesus culture. He wrote a book called Rooted. And this is so true. He says this. The most strategic thing you can do with your life is to plant it in the secret place with God. We are not called simply to work for God. We're called to love God with everything within us. And Jesus made this clear when he addressed Martha and told her that Mary was doing the more important thing. If you want God to use your life, the most practical, strategic thing that you can do is establish it in the inner room of prayer. Allow the Lord to meet you in the secret place and develop your roots in hiding. Now, if you're anything like me, there's often times where I get in this secret place and it's quiet. I can hear myself thinking way too much. And I go, I'm wasting time. I could be doing so many other things right now. But instead, I'm just on my knees or like on, on the couch and I'm, I, I'm not hearing anything. And, and you, start to, you start to feel like you're wasting time, like you could be doing more important things. But I'm here to tell you that the most important thing you could ever be doing is spending it in the presence of God. It is the most strategic thing, the most practical thing you can be doing. So in this inner room place, in the secret place, in the inner room, God provides clarity. He provides us with strategy. And God also, number three, he provides us with hope. He gives us hope in the inner room. When God reveals his story and the part that he wants you to play, it will inevitably bring you hope. David spent years as a shepherd in the field. It was his inner room. It was his secret place. And when nobody else was watching, he worshiped God with his harp. When nobody else was watching, he killed a lion and a bear. And he was still, while he was still a young boy, the word of the Lord came to David by the prophet Samuel and anointed him and told him that he would be the next king of Israel. And then a few years later, he stood before a giant who was taunting God's people. And when Saul was concerned that David wanted to fight Goliath, this is what David said to Saul. Saul says, oh, no, you can't do it. You're too small. He's going to take you out. Here, take my armor. And this is what David says to Saul. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David was aware that God had a greater story and he knew the part that he was supposed to play. 
he had been given a word by the Lord saying that he would be the next king of Israel. So how can he possibly die to a Philistine if he wasn't king yet? The Lord gave him a promise. And the Lord always keeps his promises. The Lord gave him hope in this inner room experience that he could stand on when he faced Goliath. He fought lions and bears in the secret. And it provided hope and courage and faith when he was planted in front of a giant in the public arena. Let me ask you this morning, what lions and bears do you need to fight in the secret? Go to the inner room this week and begin begin to grab that lion by the hair. Every single one of us have struggles and insecurities and addictions. Lions and bears that nobody else sees. And if we don't learn how to take out those lions and the bears alongside the presence of God, in the presence of God, then you won't be prepared when you stand before a giant in the public place. We first need to learn to take out our lions and our bears. We're often more aware of what the enemy can do than what God can do. And we need to stop being impressed by the enemy and be aware of what God's unlimited power and resources that are at your disposal through the Holy Spirit. He has unlimited power and resources for you. He, he's given it to you. Hebrews says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He has given you all authority. The Spirit of God lives within you. The fourth thing that... Jehu received in the secret place, and this is what God does. He brings you close. He brings you close. The inner room is where we can go to experience the peace of God. Becoming familiar with God's peace is very important. Do you know why? Because just like a healthy tree bears good fruit, a healthy tree also undergoes pruning. It's pruned, and it hurts. It doesn't feel good. John 15, 2 says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God prunes the people he loves. He prunes those that he loves, not because he's mean, not because he wants you to suffer, because he wants you to be fruitful. I remember working for a a man when I lived in Squim, I, there was a gentleman who had a, a small ranch, and I, I worked for him for, for a time, and he wanted me to, to prune his apple trees, to thin out his apple trees. It was in the autumn, and he showed me how to cut away some of the branches, and some of the branches even had apples on them, but they were small, and they weren't very good apples. And I was confused as an 11-year-old as to why I was cutting away apples on an apple tree. Isn't that what this is supposed to do? Why am I cutting away these apples? And he began to explain to me that if I cut away some of those small, unhealthy apples, it will bring room for bigger and better fruit. Has God ever pruned you before? It can feel confusing. It can hurt at times. But God prunes the people he loves so that they can bear healthier and bigger fruit. And when you undergo God's pruning... It's important to stay close by developing roots in intimacy with God. 
get close to God. In those seasons of pruning, the, the most important thing that you need is to stay close to God. Because we get confused in those seasons. God, why is this happening? What, what is going on? I don't understand why you're not giving me everything I want. God might say, because I'm pruning you. I'm making you mature and complete. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your life more fruitful. Just, just hold on. Just come close and hold on. I'm gonna invite Mary to come up as we, as we close. You know, I want my inner room experiences to look like Moses. Exodus 33, 9 through 11. This is, this is what Moses did with God. It says, as Moses went into the tent, The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to the tent. Right here is what I want you to get. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses stayed close. God spoke to Moses face to face. And do you know what? Moses didn't have something that you and I now have. Moses wasn't filled with the Spirit of God like you and I are filled with the Spirit of God because it had not yet been poured out. But you and I not only get to have face-to-face encounters with God, but His presence lives in you. Which is why in John 15, Jesus talks about this abiding. That we're to abide in Jesus. To abide in His presence. How is that possible? Because lives in you. You carry him wherever you go. When you're working, when you're with family, when you're sleeping, when you're fill in the blank, you carry the presence of God wherever you go so you can abide in his presence. He wants to meet with you face to face as one speaks to his friend. He wants to help you develop deep roots in the soil of intimacy. And tomorrow our church is beginning this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I want to challenge you to make time in your schedule for developing deep roots by entering the inner room. Find a place and a time for you to be alone and close the door for a while. Pray and listen to God and write down what he says. You can follow along with us by picking up one of those prayer guides in the lobby, but make an intentional effort to go into the inner room to shut the door. And to develop roots in the soil of intimacy. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you as we close. Would you just put out your hands to receive? I believe that God wants to give uh, some of you a new passion for the word. Some of you might say, it's a challenge, Pastor, for me to spend five minutes in prayer. It's a challenge for me to read the word. And I want to ask that the, in these 21 days especially, the Lord would ignite a new fire inside of you. So, Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit on us in this place. Develop deep roots within us. We trust that you love us. And so if you're not done pruning, we're not done waiting. We will wait as long as we need to. I pray for every person here who needs more understanding when they read the word, that you would give them passion and an understanding as they read your words, that they would the words would jump off the pages. It would fill them. And I pray for people who spend time in prayer, whose thoughts are loud and 
and it's distracting. I just pray for focus. I pray for those moments to be very impactful in these 21 days. Pour out your presence in this place, on these people, on our church. We dedicate this time, these next 21 days, to developing roots in these three soils. So fill us up today in Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Father. Amen. Love you, church. Next week we're going to continue this series, but uh, in about 10 or 15 minutes I will be in the cafe and we are going to start a grow class. I'd encourage you, if you are new to our church or haven't been to a grow class and want to learn a little bit more, join me at grow class.